Good morning, Chapel Roswell. I was told this is the coolest venue in North Georgia. I think it is. I think it is, although I have to do a twirl. Um, before I read the scripture, I do want to uh, acknowledge uh, that this is always kind of a somber weekend for me for Veterans Day. And um, I think tonight I'll watch Hacksaw Ridge. That's been on my watch list for a while. I think it would be appropriate. Uh, but I think it's time for us all to reflect on, do we have hearts of war or hearts at peace? Uh, I think, I, I, I thank our veterans. I thank their service. I also know and have uh, been pastor to many who have the scars. It's impossible to see what they see and to not come home scarred. I've also had the privilege of doing dozens of very high-ranking military funerals in Florida. A bunch retired there. And the common theme is, for all of them, they serve with great service, uh, but their families say they never talk about it because what they saw was so traumatizing to them. And so uh, our highest-ranking military officials usually are the ones most against war. And as we are followers of the Prince of, Pre of Peace, I invite us to really work together and really have the vision of the day when we will beat our swords into plowshares and study war no more. And it, it breaks my heart when we have yet another generation where we're sending to battle and tearing apart families. And uh, I, I'm grateful to them, but I also am grateful to the one who calls us to be ambassadors of peace and light in the darkness. And so uh, let's have a short prayer together. Gracious God, we thank you for those who serve. We thank you for those who see devastation unlike most we will ever see. We thank you for their willingness to go into danger, for their willingness to uh, preserve peace and justice throughout the world. And we ask you to, lead, to, to guard and guide our leaders that we may be instruments of peace and not warmongers. Oh, Lord, you call us to live into peace and to be agents of peace wherever we are. Help us live into that calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The scripture, people ask me all the time, what is my life scripture, the scripture that really uh, resonates with me? And I thought I'd speak on it this morning. It's from 2 Corinthians. If you guys want to cue it up, I'll read it off of there because this is really little print in this Bible. So, um, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> 
Thanks be to God. Several years ago, uh, I had lunch with a childhood friend of mine. We really were uh, friends since infancy. Our parents were friends, and Tim and I had gone to school together. We knew each other well. He was also my accountant, and he did my taxes for free. So that was also a real big perk of friendship with Tim. But then we went to lunch, and he told me he was going to seminary. I was like, well, there goes my free taxes. And now he's a high-ranking uh, uh, pastor in the Episcopal Church. Uh, he is the canon to the ordinary. The Episcopal has some interesting names, but he is the assistant to the bishop. The bishop is the ordinary, which I like to call myself. I'm the ordinary. Uh, but he's in the Episcopal Church. And anyhow, Tim got serious on me at lunch that day, and he said, Sue, I got a question for you. No Methodist I've ever talked to has been able to answer this question. I thought, oh, no pressure on this one. I said, okay, what is it? He got really serious. He looked me straight in the eye. He said, what is the method? What is the method? I said, I can answer that. I was very glad. The method, uh, you see, years ago, uh, there was a uh, college professor, a university professor at Oxford University in England named John Wesley, and he started out his life by creating a method, and he, and he lived it his whole life, and he preached it. And this is what the method was. He saw that if people would give time to God, day by day, week by week, year by year, if they would read Scripture and ponder it and really let it soak into them, if they would pray fervently, if they would gather with a small group to hold each other accountable to this method, if they would worship week in and week out, if they would take Holy Communion whenever they could, he realized that little by little, bit by bit, more and more each year, they were more like Christ. And so, he realized that there is a discipline and a way of living, and he called the people, called Methodists, to do this. And so, uh, my plea to you is to keep the method, because I fear that our lives are so busy and distracted and going 50 million places at once that we are missing the key spiritual work of sitting in a quiet place with the Bible in your hand and letting reading Scripture and letting God speak to you because what happens is that the Holy Spirit starts to do its work. It's gentle, strong, powerful work that gives us, as Paul says in, in his letters, the mind of Christ. The goal of my life is to have Sue, the mind of Sue tempered down and the mind of Christ made full because the mind of Sue has dark edges, right? The mind of Sue is not always pleasant. The mind of Sue kind of enjoys holding a grudge or having a heart at war or, or uh, well, I'll go into more about that. But the mind of Christ is the goal of the Christian life. And the mind of Christ is what unites us to one another. Uh, I love John Wesley's mother, Susanna. She said that she had to knock the spirit of her children out so that the spirit of God had a chance. <laughs> I've had 16 years with my kid, and man, that's still a constant battle. 
Although I do love that in his late years, he added, my mother was a wonderful spiritual uh, director for her children, but with her grandchildren, she's a complete pushover. So, uh, you know, human nature with that. But the mind of Christ, that's the goal of the Christian life, to, to have Christ thinking and being and, and perceiving. That is the highest person you can become, is who Christ created you to be. And so I go, and, and I, I guard that time, and I, I just bask in the love of God and ask God to show me where uh, my thoughts and my attitudes and my convictions are going against what God would have in mind for me. And it's amazing how it works. Now, if you want to know how you're doing, uh, ask your spouse or your significant other or your, uh, my 16-year-old daughter, if you dare, ask your child. But Paul gives us a great report card in Galatians 5. If you want to know, do I have the mind of Christ? Is the Spirit of Christ alive within me? Then there's a handy checklist. This is your report card, okay? Here it is. Ready? Am I loving? Am I loving? Am I joyful? Any Christians who aren't joyful, I'm like, you don't have the Spirit in you. You have got to be joyful. It's second. It's high on the list. Loving, joyful, peaceful. Am I peaceful? Am I patient? Am I gentle? Am I kind? Am I faithful? Am I generous? Am I self-controlled? Nine fruits of the Spirit that we long for. And, you know, it amazes me how uh, if you are loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, gentle, kind, faithful, generous, and self-controlled, if you are those things, you will stick out like a sore thumb in the world today. Amen? The world is longing for Christians who call themselves followers of Christ to display the fruit of the Spirit. I yearn for the day. Now imagine this, imagine this, a political ad that says vote for this candidate because they're loving. Can you imagine, kind, peaceful, gentle, those aren't even qualities that we lift up as valuable today, but this is the fruit of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, this is how you are. Now, I hate it. I really hate it because I like to hold a grudge better than anybody. I like to be nasty. I like to be bitter. I like to cut people off in traffic. <laughs> but just when I think, it keeps me humble, right? It keeps me humble because just when I think I've gotten somewhere spiritually, I'll be in my prayer closet and dang, God will say, remember what you thought about this person? Remember how this happened? You know, for John Wesley, the goal, the bar, now this will keep you real humble, the goal of the Christian life is perfection in love. Perfection in love. Anybody there yet? Oh, I want to have lunch with you if you're there yet. If you're perfect in love, I want to have lunch with you. But people who are not spiritually humble drive me crazy because perfection in love is a high bar. And really, only God knows where you are on that continuum. Some people you think and you may look down on spiritually may be a lot farther along than you were because only God does that work. 
But perfection and love, I mean, Jesus, he made an insurmountable bar, right? I, boy, uh, you, you don't have to commit adultery, you just have to think about it. Whoa. You have to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow. I quite enjoy making fun of my enemies. I quite enjoy and savor wishing them ill. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. And you see, we can't be like that unless we have the Holy Spirit in us. That's the power to be perfect in love. And that is why that's the heart of the Christian life, to day in and day out say, God, I want to be perfect in love, but this is only a work you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit. I want desperately to have the mind of Christ. I want to see and feel and think and treat others exactly as Christ would. But I can't do that without His power giving me His mind. And that's the heart of who we are. Now, the Holy Spirit makes us one with Christ. And then the next part is the Holy Spirit makes us one with each other. Now, C.S. Lewis uh, cracked me up. And in one of his books, he says, you know, that whole thing about making us one with each other sounds really good until I notice who's in the pew next to me. (laughs) That getting along with each other is really hard, especially in the church where Christ calls peoples of all background and educational levels and, and uh, uh, income levels and, and, and people with very different opinions and attitudes and ideas and throws us all together and says, be the church. Be the church. The great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the only witness to the, that the church has to Jesus Christ is that we are together through his spirit. We will disagree. We will have different attitudes. If you look at the church, it's as divided. I mean, you have blue churches and red churches. You have it's just crazy. But if we want to bear witness to Christ to the world, then we show a world that we are united by the power of His Holy Spirit that makes us one with each other. And it means that the person who I most disagree with, the person I most feel angry against, the person I most would rather disappear that I'd never have to see again, I am stuck with in the name of Christ. (laughs) I don't know about you, but there are people who get on my last nerve. Have you got those folks? And pastors, if you're honest, there's always parishioners who get on your last nerve, I guarantee But I have found that when I take those people in the prayer closet with me, not literally, because I don't want to be that close to, and I'm just kidding. (laughs) But when when I pray for them fervently, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. When I pray for them, something happens. Sometimes it might take a year. Sometimes it may take two years. Some are still a work in progress. But I find that, lo and behold, one day I will see them and I will love them. Usually because I have taken the time to be in relationship with them. 
And usually what I find is, based on where they come from and what's happened in their lives, they're doing the best they can. And all too often what I realize is, it's something about me that is being borne out in my lack of ability to get along. No, to be one with each other, to bear witness to Christ as a united body, that is hard work. That is holy and sacred work. And it requires deep prayer and deep commitment and deep love for your enemies. Now, I hate that. I'd much rather bear a grudge. I'd much rather talk behind people's back. I'd much rather sit in a rocking chair with my husband in front of the house and rag on everybody and just be negative. I know you never hear those comments, right? But when I see people diminished or objectified, when I see people name-calling and labeling, especially in the church, it breaks my heart. Because Christ calls us to be better. Christ calls us to have his mind. Christ calls us to a different standard. So by Christ's spirit, we become one with Christ, we get his mind, and then we become one with each other. And then the best part, we become one in ministry the whole world. And the beauty is if all of these different people from all backgrounds, from all ideologies, from all attitudes come together, then we are fully equipped to go into all the world because you preach the gospel in your workplace better than I ever will. You know Christ in your family and you relate to them. You're all out in the world in different places and you are Christ ambassadors, agents of reconciliation there. Nothing's worse than a church that just stays inside. That's, I, I even, I've gotten to the point where I'm not even sure you can call that a church. Because the heart of the gospel is we are a team. We are forged together in our difference. We are forged together to go all different places. And we are forged to be in ministry to spread God's reconciling word. To spread the word that God loves you. That God wants everyone at his table. That God's deepest desire is to have everybody around a table. That's the image. Everybody around one table where we truly love one another, where we truly get along, where we truly are in ministry to all the world. It's important. It's important. Years ago, I was at the poorest place I've ever been. It's a place called Bombita. It's in the Dominican Republic, just over the Haiti border. And it's a town of Haitians who really have no citizenship status. They can't go anywhere. They're kind of stuck there. And their whole job in life is to cut sugar cane. And we were, I was in this town, and I was sitting, you can't even call it a road. It was a gully. The main street was a gully that raw sewage flowed down. And children were running all around me. They were emaciated. They were filthy. They were hopeless. The homes, you really couldn't call them a home. It was a shelter slapped together. The animals and the people lived together in the same shelters. And I sat by the road. I had an experience of Christ and just cried. Because the word I heard from God is, you know, Sue, these are my children as well. And if you're my follower, they're your kids too, just as much as your own daughter is your child. 
So you need to change your attitude. You need to be in ministry to the world because my children are suffering, they are sick, they are hungry, they are dying, and they need hope. And in that little town of Bombita, I saw the only hope they had was the church. Not one church, many churches together who provided a school and who provided a health clinic and who provided education and a future for these kids and gave them tuition and scholarships and helped them go to university. The church was the sole link to health and, and, and welfare for this people. And I thought, there's not a place in the world we aren't called to go. These are our children just as much as our children had a tremendous impact on me. No, Christ calls us to extend our family way beyond our own bloodlines, way beyond our own niche, way beyond our own tribe. Years ago, I don't know if when you were a kid, when I was a kid, I played the three wishes game. Did you ever play that? I'd, I'd, I'd love that, the whole genie and Aladdin story, and I would say, okay, I get three wishes, and then, I, you know, about age 10, I realized I could, I could wish for three more wishes, so that helped. But um, I'm embarrassed how shallow my early wishes were, uh, usually involved chocolate. Um, but, I, you know, I was rethinking that recently, and I thought, if somebody offered me a wish, even one wish, if God said, okay, I give you one wish, what would I wish? This is what I'd wish. I figured it out. And I would give my life for this wish that every human being has somebody to cherish them. That every human being has someone to cherish them. 1,200 children in North Georgia age out of foster care with no one ever cherishing them. They are not uniquely special in someone's side. It makes me think of the musical Oliver, which I love, the little orphan boy sings, where is love? Does it fall from skies above? Is it underneath the willow tree that I've been dreaming of? Where is she who I close my eyes to see? Will I ever know the sweet hello that's meant for only me? Every night I kneel and pray, let tomorrow be the day when I see the face of someone who I can mean something to. Where is love? Where is love? So my challenge to you as you go forth, one in ministry to the whole world, is to find somebody not related to you. Maybe they, I guess they can be related to you, but estranged from you. But find somebody in the name of Christ to cherish. I know the love of God through Christ because I have seen it in many, many people who cherish me who spoke a word to me of how desperately wanted I am, who told me that I was the beloved child of God. That's reconciliation. Who can you reconcile to God? That is in the letter to the church at Corinth. This church is fighting. It's conflicted. It's, it's messed up. It's splitting all over. And God, Paul writes them and says, get over yourselves. Remember who you are. Your identity is you are the reconciling agents for God. So go be ambassadors of Christ. Quit fighting among yourselves. Quit arguing about what's important and whose gifts are most important. And go be in one in ministry to the whole world. Find somebody to cherish. This whole community has people on the fringes who are desperately wanting somebody to speak a word of love and grace over them. And that is your job.
It's a tremendous, tremendous use of life. That's what life is all about. To become one with Christ, one with each other, one in ministry to all the world. Uh, Several months ago, I read a piece about um, uh, the military. And when they drop a bomb on any region, they know the kill zone. They know exactly how many people will be killed there. And uh, I told this story recently, and a military guy came up. He's like, they do that so they know they won't kill civilians. I said, oh, I know, I get it. Philanthropic bombing, I get it. But I thought about that, and I thought, you know, what if we turn that on its head and asked every church, where is your love zone? How many people in the radio, how far does your church's radius extend? How many people are you cherishing and loving and reconciling to God? How far is your scope? I don't really care how many are worshiping with you every Sunday. I don't really care how many, um, you know, uh, uh, baskets you serve or whatever. But I really would love to know how you're expanding your love zone every year. Because the impact of one church can be tremendous. I have seen tiny churches have huge impacts. I've seen large, some large churches who just sit around and look at each other and never have any expansion of their scope. And I know this church is not one of those. But I encourage you to expand ruthlessly your love zone. Find more and more people to cherish, more and more people to reconcile, more and more to speak the word of God's love and grace over, more and more people to gather in, more and more people to welcome, more and more people to school on being good Methodists so that they bear the fruit of the Spirit and have the mind of Christ. And you see this whole cycle starts again. One giant circle. We become one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world so that more people are drawn in to be one with Christ. It just keeps going, and it's been going on for 2,000 years, and I hope that the next 100 years is better than it's ever been. So I invite you, in the name of Christ, to be good Methodists, to get to your prayer closets, to have relentlessly methodical time of prayer and reflection, give God a chance to mess around in your life and your heart. That's what the world needs. That will change everything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.